0: This week on the show, we have the Gemini capsule in the FreeBSD jail for you. We read from the FreeBSD quarterly status report, of the first quarter of 2021. A NetBSD VM is happily running on Beehive on TrueNAS, and we show you how. We cover an interview with Michael w. Lucas on CyberCity. A WireGuard returns as an experimental package in PFSense. We have CGI with AUK on OpenBSD's HTTPD, and more in this week's episode, of BSD Now. BSD Now, episode 406, Jail Gemini Capsule. Jail Gemini Capsule? Recorded on the 2nd of June, 2021. This episode of BSD Now is brought to you by Tarsnap. Go to tarsnap.com slash BSD Now to get the online backups for the truly paranoids. Hello, I'm your host Benedict Kreuschling. and I'm Tom Jones. Welcome, uh, Tom Jones is just back in the podcast, and from a very nice camping trip in his living room, I hear.
1: Ah, yeah. So this weekend we had um, the, the Campgrounded conference, uh, which I talked about on a previous show, trying to get people to submit talks and then come. I don't think it worked. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was it was a great weekend. So the 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 idea of the event is we replace um, when a group of us would normally go camping. It was like a small group in a farm uh, because of COVID we can't so we went camping from our living rooms and the thing that mm-hmm. people normally note is that we have our tent set up in the living room because of course you have your tent set up where else are you might of stand? course who doesn't yeah no I, and it went really well it was really good the, the talk should hopefully appear in the next couple of weeks Um they were they were streamed during the event but we have to move house now so it'll take mm-hmm. a while to, ch- to ch- chop them up but yeah. Really good it's really nice to have participation from people and it was great to see uh, engagement from the the community we had uh, in between all the sessions we tried really hard to have a nice hallway track and i think we did quite well
0: okay and uh, so talks were recorded
1: yeah the talks are recorded um they just need to be the 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 uh, 12-hour lumps that we have on uh, youtube right now need to be pulled down and cut up into the individual talks and then they'll, they'll go mm. live
0: okay great and if you want to see how that camping might look like you can Look up Tom Jones' Twitter account for some snapshots. Uh, Adventure Loop, is it? Yes. Yeah, okay. So right into the headlines um, after
1: this little intro. Uh, The Gemini capsule. Is it Gemini or Gemini? I've heard both. I I always called it Gemini, but someone really had a big (laughs) argument with me about calling it Gemini.
0: Okay, so the capsule of Gemini uh, in a FreeBSD jail. So definitely interesting. Uh, So why would we want to have this? So Michael Waltz, why, why is the ENA exchanged? Oh, I'm so confused right now. Um, anyway, so the article goes, with the recent release of FreeBSD 13, I wanted to test it out on a spare Raspberry Pi 3 that was part of my old Kubernetes cluster. In particular, FreeBSD jails have always interested me, although I've never used them in practice. Over the years, I've managed operating system virtualization through Solaris zones and Docker containers, and Jails seems like a good middle ground between the two. Easier to manage than zones and closer to the OS than Docker. I also want to run my own Gemini capsule locally to use some of the features that my other hosted capsules don't have, like scgi or slash cgi. And setting up a capsule in a jail is a good way to learn both at the same time. Okay, so there's a section about installing FreeBSD on a Raspberry Pi. I think that's not too exciting. I guess most people have done this by now. Uh, so the only thing that's uh, of importance, you set up um, password.login and require SSH keys. They set up do as for a new user and remove the FreeBSD user um, for security reasons. Okay, And of course, set a strong root password like always. Then they set up NTP. So NTPD enabled to rc.conf. Uh, they're using ah, the do dash a dance to do that instead of, um, you know, sysrc, but works either way. Uh, and then started it, of course, and so the service makes your clock uh, sync with the uh, atomic time clock. And next is setting up the jail. So creating the jail is fairly straightforward, uh, but contains two different methods of configuring them. The built in jail commands or easy jails, they ended up using easy jail, which seems more robust and featureful. I guess you can also do it manually. That's pretty much uh, not an issue. Uh, they do the cloned interfaces, LO1 to rc.conf and service native clone up to uh, initialize that interface and install the package easy jail, of course, uh, along with CR root NSS to get the certificates and open SSL. Then they added easy jail enabled to rc.conf and on they go. They first create their own jail. Do as easy jail dash admin create the source. Okay, that that that's some internal thing that I don't get. So lo one one twenty seven is their IP address, and em one is the is it a bridge? Yeah, I think so. To one twenty nine you can exchange it with your own IP addresses in your own network. So that's install that installs the FreeBSD thirteen and runs it. So once complete. Uh, they list a new jail. OK, it's there. And it got an IP address. And then jump into the console of the jail and do the rest inside of it. Uh, what they do there, of course, is SSH enabled. to uh, SSH directly into it. So now getting into the setting up the Gemini capsule. I'm practicing this word until next time. Um, <laughs> so now that the jail is set up, the next uh, step is configuring the Gemini server, Molly Brown. Uh, which has a lot of features, such as tilde support for user Gemini folders and, and the SGG, SCGI, as we mentioned. So first you install Go, and then you run go get tildegitorg solderpunk molly brown to get the actual uh, repository. I'm fairly sure it is. Yep. And yeah, so that gets this installed. Okay. Then you then you create an SSL certificate locally and. Probably sign it also depending on your level of security that you want to have. And the rest is just make dears and change owns. And sure enough, here you go in your etc Um, configuring the port, the host name, and certification or cert paths, and some extra stuff like access logs and error logs. And they also write their own Molly Brown service. Nice in rc.d slash molly. Uh, that's a fairly straightforward script that you just replace your own executables with uh, to let um, the actual service run. And, you know, there's a, a start, stop, and status function to uh, use the respective service. And last but not least, you enable this, of course, in your rc.conf, and then you start it. And sure enough, you now have a Gemini capsule running in a FreeBSDJ.
1: They link at the bottom uh, an example of it running.
0: Oh, yeah, excellent. So that people can try it out and maybe run their own
1: after this. One day one of the two of us is gonna to have to actually look at Gemini Benedict.
0: It, there is, yeah, didn't we talk about this earlier? Like a, it's a it's a protocol that we both haven't used much yeah. yet.
1: Yeah <laughs> someone someone will need to explain it to us. Maybe maybe J2 is JT is trying to make us learn things.
0: Yeah. <laughs> he's he's saying us something yeah.
1: <laughs> okay. Okay. Now yeah. ne- next up we've got the uh, FreeBSD quarterly stats report for the first quarter of twenty twenty one. and this is the the stats report generated um, by some of the docs team who put in a lot of hard work uh, chasing people. Definitely lots of work chasing people. Uh, and it covers the, covers work done in between January and, and March of this year. It's one of the four planned for this year. And it's, it's pretty big. I mean, the introduction says it's a little shorter than normal, but it's huge. Um, and so there's an introduction uh, from the FreeBSD Foundation and some discussion of the, the work the foundation has been doing. Um, And then there's discussion in sub-projects, parts of the operating system, documentation. uh, And we've started covering third-party projects to cover FreeBSD, which is a great uh, addition. And so the report starts off with uh, an update from the uh, president of the FreeBSD Foundation, from from Deb from the FreeBSD Foundation, um, talking about the foundation uh, and how things have been going in the last quarter. Uh, A note here that I don't think I've seen before, but maybe I've just not been reading, is uh, a note on the COVID-19 impact to the foundation. And she says, like most organizations, our team continued to work from home. Our temporary ban on travel for staff members remains in effect, but continues to not affect our output too much. Since most conferences are still virtual, we continue supporting the community and the project, even though some of our work and responses may have been delayed because of changes to some of our priorities and the impact of limited childcare support for some of our staff members. Uh, and it's great to see that the foundation is still going and that we're still getting a lot of uh, output.
0: Yeah, small correction here. Deb is the executive director, ah, not the president. But yeah, it, it's easy to, to mix that up. Um, <laughs> uh, but that's a minor issue. Uh, so yeah, uh, we're kind of happy that we were not too much impacted from COVID-19. And we were also happy that people still donated in this uh, very tough year for most people. Um, So we're still good on the temporary um, or on the um, donation front so that we can use the money for, you know, supporting developers. And of course, we couldn't put in too much money into conference this year, uh, as you know, but we're putting the money into some other good use uh, that will um, benefit the project and you will hear about these plans in the future. We'll probably do a separate um, announcement here. But that's still cooking a little bit.
1: And I think a, a great section in the Foundation update here is that under the section OS improvements, over the quarter, a total of 264 base system commits, 63 ports commits, and 10 doc tree commits were tagged as sponsored by the FreeBSD Foundation, which if, if I can multiply correctly, that's about just over two a day for the base system, one every other day for the ports tree, and some for the doc tree. Uh, But it's great to see that the the foundation has continued to um, contribute so much to the project and at a high rate. Uh, And then they want go on to thank, um, yeah, talk about what what has been done by staff members, including bug fixes, minor improvements, and security patches. Um, And there's been lots of work in the kernel and user space. Um, And then in other parts, there is an update from the the release engineering team. And during the first quarter of 2021, uh, the re team started work on the 13.0 release cycle. Did the thirteen was released thirteen released in the quarter or out of the quarter? So hard uh, to remember when
0: you're the going round to the that course. yeah yeah.
1: So re team was released thirteen, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it's also been quite a busy one for the cluster admin team as well. Um, with the the move to Git for everything, there's been instantiation of lots of new services, uh, and there's been updates in other pl- other places. Um, Updates to the UK Mirror, um, so confusing. There's a machine called Pointy ha Hat. I just think of blaming people. Um, <laughs> and we got rid of some old servers, which is always good to hear. Old servers should go away.
0: Yeah, it's it's a lot of work. It's also you know buying new servers and putting them in the right racks. If you can't get to the actual racks because pandemic, and so we're you know putting services between machines and making sure that they're still running and no one notices. Uh, and also setting up some new server, like we got a new Mirror server in Brazil, uh, sponsored by nick.br. And so, yeah, the cluster admin team is special in that people always think that they don't work because everything's working, but they do a lot of work to make things work that people don't think no one is working. So the cluster admin team is uh, small, but very um, good at making things uh, work as always. And so I think we uh, owe them a, bit of gratitude. And I think this report just doesn't give it enough justice that um, the work that they're doing could use a bit more uh, help or limelight even. Cool. Then there's a big report about continuous integration. That's a repeat from uh, previous reports. And it's just a continuing effort. Of course, obviously, continuing integration is continuing. And uh, yeah, so important changes are all that source jobs are now changed to use Git, of course. That's the uh, result of the migration. And they were also uh, involved in that. Uh, there was now also a doc job updated for following the ASCII doc migration, which also happened. So there's a lot of new things uh, in FreeBSD in the uh, you know toolchain uh, department. So definitely check it out if you're if you were kind of put off from the kind of uh, old stuff we were apparently using. Um, we took our time and it had reasons, but we're now a bit more fresh in the tool stack. So if you are interested in helping us out there with new tooling that definitely is uh, appreciated and you we will help uh, we will welcome everyone who's helping in documentation or um, sending us pull requests and stuff like that so this is definitely um, a bit more approachable now
1: and there's there's further updates for just projects that I'll just name the titles of so there's one from the git working group um, they have done a, a ton of work with the move to Git that might not always be user-visible, but it's been a, an absolute massive work to do. Um, updates to LLDB that we've covered in recent shows from Mortis Systems and supported by the FreeBSD Foundation. Um, work on the Linux compatibility layer, uh, which is also supported by the FreeBSD Foundation and has led to things like um, was it uh, Linux Firefox with Widevine running. So you can watch Yeah, Netflix. and uh,
0: Steam games. Yeah,
1: like I, th- loads of great work coming through.
0: <laughs> I think that's the most reasons why people are inactive now. They're playing games now. They, are not, they don't contribute to FreeBSD anymore. <laughs> I can play my games now.
1: <laughs> so what? Yeah, and then the, the foundation also supports um, work into vulnerability mitigations, which is another project. There was uh, updates to OpenBSM. Uh, there are updates in the kernel as well. And so the FreeBSD ENA drivers had an update uh, thanks to semi to SemiHalf, um, which brings the driver up to 2.3.1, uh, which I think adds some extra logging features, which are quite useful if you're lo- using stuff in AWS. So it's great to see FreeBSD oh, yeah. improving in the cloud. Uh, an Intel wireless update, which is definitely worth looking at if you have a laptop with Intel wireless or a desktop with Intel wireless. I think it almost supports my NUX, but not quite. Mm-hmm. Um, updates to kernel sanitizers, Updates to ARM64 SOX from Marvell. Um, and an NV-based audio device enumeration. Ah, nv list based CTLs. Um, yeah, so lots of improvements inside the kernel.
0: Yeah. Uh, then there's ports, uh, of course. For example, KDE on FreeBSD. Uh, people were super busy. So the KDE team did their own um, Hangouts or Zoom calls. Not sure which one, but they did regular calls and made sure that KDE on FreeBSD is uh, very well integrated and close to the actual um, KDE release that uh, is available on other distributions. Uh, So they did a bunch of good work, including um, the KDE framework, for example, has a monthly release cycle now, and Plasma and the rest of the KDE software run on a quarterly cycle plus the monthly bug fixes. And so all these releases landed in ports in a timely manner thanks to the KDE team and KDE at FreeBSD team. And so there were like several hundred other applications uh, in from the KDE space that are now available on FreeBSD and in a relatively uh, current version. There's also the Office team. So okay. all the Office software like OpenOffice, LibreOffice, uh, you name it, uh, should also be uh, updated and relatively uh, up to date. So that's good. Uh, And if you think just about the software, how long it takes to compile, and if you just port this, it takes a lot of effort and machine cycles to get uh, a patch uh, working. And so just by compiling this over and over again. uh, So that's a lot of work and uh, the people that are doing their uh, work there. uh, They could use some help if you're interested in that. So uh, in each of these status report entries, there's a contact information if you want to help out in that space. And that's uh, the team will hopefully... Uh, appreciate your efforts. I'm fairly sure they will. Then there's updates from the FreeBSD uh, port of VirtualBox. So the VirtualBox team uh, has updated to upstream 6.1.18 release. And that brings us some uh, extra uh, graphics output for that. So so, uh, the VirtualBox team has made some efforts there and we want to be um, also (laughs) compatible with that. So that's also done. And then there's a huge entry, of course, for the documentation Bit because of the new infrastructure that Sergio Calavilla put in place. Hopefully that's the proper pronunciation of his name. Um, so he did a lot of work: the the switch over, the migration, the, the tooling, the the tools, the the scripts behind it to make it work. So that was done on Saturday, January twenty third. And uh, yes, we could also use help there. We have a now a much easier way of contributing to documentation. You don't have to learn SGML or XML. So you can just give us text, and we will put it in the uh, handbook. It's it's a bit more involved in, uh, than that. We don't take any text, but you get the idea of um, being uh, an easier entry into the doc project. Then we have uh, translations on WebLate. That's uh, also um, you know due to the migration to ASCII doctor and Hugo, we also needed to update the translation tools with WebLate and make them compatible. So that's ongoing. And Danilo G. Bio is uh, very active in there and is our um, Coordinator there. So if you want to contribute to a translation or start a new one, even then head out head out to our translate devfreebsdorg website. There's a web apps working group now. Uh, so this is to redesign the website and documentation portal since we are now on these new tools um, and we put the uh, migration of the website separate as a separate step. Uh, we're now in a way uh, getting to this, and we have they have defined four phases to get uh, eventually new and a little bit modern FreeBSD website design.
1: There's a, a miscellaneous section which talks about the, the Discord server and community growth, and it highlights that the Discord server has grown up to 480 members, uh, which is massive, uh, and it lays out some of Kube's plans to, to update it and make it a, a big and welcoming community. Um, and so if you're interested in a Discord server, you can look at the FreeBSD wiki, discord, and it'll explain... Uh, hopefully everything you need to to join and get involved. Um, And it's definitely a very active group of people I find it impossible to keep up with what's going on there. And there's a a discussion about third-party projects as well, which was something added to the quarterly status reports a year or so ago. Um, And and now we're talking about three or four different projects. And so there is an update from the CBSD project. CBSD is a, a management layer written for FreeBSD jail subsystem, Beehive and ZEN. CBSD allows users to manage jail, beehives, and environments at different levels of abstraction. Uh, And in their status report, they say a REST API service layer was added during the last quarter, enabling creation of programmable cloud solutions. In addition, work was done to support REST API through a CBSD file. That sounds like a great update. There's an update from Hello System. Um, I'm gonna guess what Hello System is. I know what Hello. Hello System is a FreeBSD pre-configured as a desktop operating system with a focus on simplicity elegance and usability. Its design follows the less but better philosophy and their updates. Um, Hello system and some of its of the motivations and core ideas were presented at FOSDEM, so I'm sure that's pretty good talk and it was recorded. Uh, Version 0.4.0 of Hello was published and installable live ISOs are available and there's work towards 0.5.0 with a system menu that reflects changes in applications immediately and a file manager uh, and an initial spatial mode option. Each folder opens its own window. Uh, so it seems like a great project that's building on top of FreeBSD. Um, and there is an, oh, I've never heard of this, an alpha version of something called package-based.live. Uh, package-based.live. is an unofficial repository for the FreeBSD package-based project. It packages the FreeBSD-based system as 330 packages. So I think this is an effort to make package base easier to use. Um, so package base is taking the FreeBSD operating system, so the base operating system that's normally just a tar archive and turning it into normal FreeBSD packages that are sort of distinct from the other ones, but allows you to put together a smaller system and get rid of things you don't really want, like send mail. Um, and so they offer a service with hosted packages. Uh, and I'm sure if we went to the website, it would explain how to use it. Which I think is a great step forward to using package base more often.
0: Yeah, I mean, people have been talking about what's going on. Is it ready? Is it, are you working on it as a project? Uh, it's become become kind of quiet around it. Um, so it's kind of nice that this kind of effort is using the current version and uh, maybe gets more attention to the actual. Hey, put this project over the finish line. We want to use it now.
1: Yeah, it is great. I know of some FreeBSD developers that run package base as their their FreeBSD on their systems, but uh it's always still been a little arcane to to know what to do. And it's good to have more testing, because more testing means we'd be closer to, to, to shipping.
0: Yeah. And you know, people try out edge cases that not everyone as developers could could try out. And so is the is three hundred and thirty packages the right amount? Is it too much? Is it too little? And so yeah, that's good testing, uh, even though it's unofficial. Uh, it's definitely a good way of getting people interested in the project.
1: There's there's finally just two more. Uh, an update from the the potlock and potman um, project. Pot project. So pot is a jail management tool that supports orchestration through Nomad. I think we covered pot earlier this year. And it aims to be to FreeBSD and pot what Docker Hub is to Linux and Docker. Uh, and so it's a repository of pot flavors and complete images for usage with pot, in many cases, Nomad. Uh, and so there's an update from them. And then finally, there's an update on a sys control improvements, um, which has been going on for quite a while. So it's a huge quarterly status report, and there's there's lots of stuff in here. So it's definitely worth a check out. And there might be projects you'd be interested in getting involved in or um, helping to, to get towards their end, and they're definitely covered here. And there's all the links to contact people.
0: Yep. And thanks for uh, putting it together, Daniel Edrup- Jensen, uh, Jensen, sorry, um, because it's always a huge project uh, to put this together in a quarterly status report because of all these submissions which is good uh, and then you know putting it in the right format and proofreading and all that that's very appreciated of you doing that
1: I can't, I can't imagine chasing down that many people for submissions it's a great effort
0: yeah Okay, time for the news roundup this week. We have a NetBSD VM on Beehive on TrueNAS. So that's kind of a a stacking going on. Uh, But this uh, article reads that my new NAS at home is running TrueNAS Core. So far, it has been excellent. However, I struggled a bit setting up a NetBSD VM on it. Part of the problem is that a lot of the docs and how-tos I found are stale, and the information uh, in it no longer applies. So TrueNAS Core allows running VMs using Beehive, which is FreeBSD's hypervisor. NetBSD is not an officially supported OS, at least according to the guest OS chooser in the TrueNAS web UI. But since the release of NetBSD 9 a while ago, things have become far simpler than they used to be, with one caveat. See below. So UEFI boot. So NetBSD 9 and newer fully support booting through UEFI, which simplifies things because, well, as far as they understand, Beehive does not really support BIOS boot. It prefers loading the kernel directly. so it used to be the case that it was hard to get the installer working. But people started with an image of an already installed system plus grub on for Beehive, uh, which is all very clunky. And to be clear, it is no longer needed, luckily. So starting with the installer, they started by downloading the CD image for the installer, which is the regular NetBSD 9 stable installation CD image, and storing it in the ZFS volume. And then in the web UI, under virtual machines, you create a new one with the following settings. A guest OS freeBSD bsd well, close enough. Uh, boot method UEFI, VNC enabled. Wait with boot until VNC connects enabled. Yep, so you don't miss anything. Use virtual IO for disk and network to get the speed. And when asked for an install CD, select the CD image downloaded uh, in the first step here. And there's a section called first fallout before success sections begin. So first fallout, when you boot now, you will find that VNC disconnects after about five seconds. That's a bit too short for installation. Uh, Further investigation shows that it's actually the Beehive hypervisor that exits with a sec fault. Mm. Turns out to be an issue with USB3, the XHCI driver in the NetBSD kernel. Or rather, it is probably a Beehive bug. But disabling the XHCI driver on the guest side works around it. Ah, disabling XHCI is not a big deal because the VM does not need native USB 3.0 anyway. So to work around this, um, start the VM, connect to VNC. Once the bootloader appears, press the option 3 to go to the prompt, enter boot C. In the user conf shell, enter disable XHCI star, then quit. And then the installer should appear, letting you install normally. Ah, okay. Once that's done, the installation is over, shut down the VM, and remove the CD from the list of devices, and then start it again and repeat them to boot into the installed systems. Oh, and then you can say, edit the boot config file, So because you don't want to do this every time, because uh, that's tedious. And there you need a a boot menu entry that actually does the disable XHCI automatically. Okay, and success gives us the whole DMessage output from netbsd booting on beehive
1: awesome uh, nice yeah uh, it's good to see it's good to see other operating systems being tried um maybe maybe fewer people are trying to run netbsd on beehive and that's why it doesn't come up supported in the true interface. interface good to see that get going um so next up we have uh an interview on cyber city um, with, with Michael W. Lucas. Uh, and it starts with a great photo of him being slightly taller than all of the books he's published.
0: <laughs> yeah, he's, uh, he has his
1: track record now. Yeah. Ho- hopefully he will, uh, he will win against the books and they will be taller than him.
0: <laughs> <Well>.
1: <laughs> um, I'm betting on Lucas that he will win anyway, whether he's bigger than the stack or the stack. <laughs> I don't know. Once, once the books are taller than him, they might they might be able to fall and crush him.
0: Uh, Yeah, that's the the end of a good writing career.
1: Let's hope hope that doesn't happen. (laughs) Yeah, hopefully not. (laughs) Um, So so they ask, who are you and what do you do? Uh, My name is Michael Lucas, says Michael Lucas. I spent 20 years in systems and network administration and now write books full-time. In response to how did you first get into IT, uh, he says, in the late 80s, I got an account on the university Unix system. I mostly used it for email, Usenet, and occasional acts of FTP in September 1995 the US National Science Fund fully commercialized the internet dozens of new companies sprung up there was a massive labor shortage and if you have any had any relevant experience you could get a decent job the learning opportunities were massive the challenges were huge 90% of the people were 90% of the people we hired didn't last their first month i dug in and learned things that you can't learn outside of a global network and leverage those into positions at smaller places um, when asked how he chose to work in the open source world, especially OpenBSD and FreeBSD, he says, they let me sleep. Seriously. In 1995, I was responsible for a couple of heavily loaded client-facing name servers. Most operating systems folded under the load. I worked nights. When a name server imploded, I got called and had to fix it. This was before virtualization, before remote consoles, before VPNs. My internet access at home was a 33.6 kilobaud dial-up. And I could be either on the phone or connected to the network. I tried Linux, SunOS, Unixware. I even tried a Windows NT name server out of sheer desperation. The day the day I installed a FreeBSD name server, I got a glorious ten hours of uninterrupted sleep.
0: Ah, uh, yes. I think he has a longer blog post about his experiences back then. So yeah.
1: Oh, that's awesome. I didn't. I didn't actually know that story. It's a, a real, a real good uh, explanation of why. They go on to talk about uh, how he got into writing. Um, and as advice for, for writers going forward. I'm really surprised he didn't say, don't become a writer. Uh,
0: <laughs> Not necessarily, yeah.
1: But, but instead, he talks about um, things that that help this process and things that uh, other writers should do, uh, namely figure out copyright and figure out business. And on the business side of things, he very conveniently has written a book called uh, Cash Flow for Creatives.
0: Oh, yes. Um, so this is, this is neither fiction or nor tech normally that's that's what his normal writing routine is, but this is for hey you're trying to get into the business of writing books or in a creative business um, more generally this is what you need to know this is these these are the illusions that I'm going to pop for you now before it's too late, and these are some general tips and uh, pitfalls you should avoid and the tips you should use
1: yeah, so it's a great interview you should uh, you should check it out,
0: yeah which reminds me we should get lucas back uh when his next books are out um on an interview on this show oh he has a picture on his writing desk so yeah this is where the art is created
1: i was so disappointed when you say writing desk i expect it to be full of uh papers and, and quills but it's, no, it's monitors. A, <laughs> a bit more modern than uh, you know the the name of the rose maybe maybe he's uh <laughs> maybe his uh, patrons could get together and uh, fund him to write a book by hand.
0: Yes, with really, with a quill. Yeah, with a and, quill. Uh...
1: <laughs> My, Michael Lucas's performance art.
0: Yeah, <laughs> excellent. Cool. So yeah, uh, check out Michael Lucas and, of course, his books and the interview. So next up, we have Sense WireGuard Returns as Experimental Package. So they have something going on. This is on NetGate's blog. Uh, And Scott Long writes here uh, that they are pleased to be collaborating with Christian McDonald to bring WireGuard back to PFSense Plus and PFSense CE software in an experimental form. Christian approached our engineering team a few weeks ago to look for ways to collaborate on WireGuard, and we are pleased to work with him and share his results. Starting May 5th, 2021, NetGate will build and distribute this new code as part of the library of extensions that exist for both development and future versions of PFSense Plus and PFSense CE. Question started with NetGate's open source PFSense code for WireGuard management and adopted it to work without needing any low-level changes or extensions to PFSense software. This allows it to be built and distributed as an add-on package rather than requiring it to be bundled as part of a PFSense software update. Cool. The kernel driver component of Christian's package comes from net slash wireguard dash effort of the FreeBSD ports project. Christian has done an outstanding job with documenting his journey and we encourage the community to take a look at his YouTube channel. This is linked from our show notes, of course. Please consider sponsoring him so he can continue his efforts. So he has, um, is this a Patreon
1: or something? It's a GitHub sponsorship link.
0: Ah, right. They do this now. Cool. And uh, it closes with the new YGOT package is still highly experimental. NetGate will continue to monitor the evolution of this code and provide assistance when practical. We encourage all those who are interested in trying it and provide feedback. Thanks to Christian for his
1: work on this project. Ah, and finally, we have CGI with awk on OpenBSD HTTPD. That's right. You did not hear me say awk. I read this <laughs> entire article, and I didn't know why it was here. And then I saw why. Um, so this is an article by... Uh, I can't see the name. Matto. Um, and they have an example of using OpenBSD's HTTPD uh, with awk as the CGI script host. So you can write aux scripts to do your CGI, because I don't why know not? why. <laughs> so, so, it works. So this this, this article is great. Uh, it explains to you how to uh, prepare the slash etc slash httpd, um, as well as including lines for the SSL certificate obtained through Acme client. Um, and it shows you how to check for syntax hours, uh, syntax errors. Uh, and then it shows you how to write the, the CGI script. And there's a nice, simple CGI script. It's only uh, seven lines long. And it has a begin block and then some printf's. And the printf's are the HTTP status code. <laughs> <laughs> and then it, then it returns uh, in, environment variables for the CGI script. Uh, you then take the script and you put it into the HTTPD CH root mm-hmm. uh, and start up uh, slow CGI and HTTPD point your browser at the, the domain and and there you have uh, there, there you have your CGI interactive website delivered through awk okay I knew that awk was
0: powerful but using it this way I never thought about
1: you gotta, you gotta have a hobby
0: <laughs> it's yeah if you're desperate and need to have something working quickly then
1: yeah I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't this take this
0: <laughs> poor man's web server uh, <laughs> I mean, it's in the base system. You don't have to install any extra software. I guess. So it's... yeah. Or <laughs> joking aside, it's useful, and you know.
1: You I think it's know. good. It shows the, the power of HTTPD and how you can integrate it with CGI services. Yeah. And uh, I, I don't know if they're seriously using Auk for stuff, but I sort of hope they are. But but if not, it's uh, it's nice to see how easy this would be to integrate with other things.
0: Mm. Oh, yeah, as a in-between uh, or glue between the different components. Uh, Speaking of uh, interesting components or things in between, uh, what's standing between you and a backup? Well, actually nothing, unless you have a software that is clunky and not very user-friendly. But um, we have something for you that is kind of cool, and especially for the Unix folks, they would like our sponsor because it's Tarsnap. And Tarsnap provides you with the online backups for the truly paranoid. So is it? Uh, backup software? Yes, it is. But it's also giving you a nice way of making sure that you create cryptographically signed keys for this encrypted backup and they are stored on your computer and generated on your computer, not in some cloud servers that some uh, vendor provided and hey, we will keep your keys safe as well. No. TarSnap keeps your keys locally and they will also do a bit of uh, data crunching on your two backup uh, data because they do segmentation and deduplication to make it smaller, which means less to transfer and less money for you to pay. Uh, they also do compression afterwards, and then once this process is done, they start the encryption with the key you just generated, and then only the encrypted data leaves your computer. So it's not encrypted on the on the web or in the cloud; it's encrypted before it leaves your machine, and there it sits. Uh, until the day it's needed, hopefully never. But in case you need it, it's there. And as soon as you or as long as you still have the key, you can unencrypt your own backups. And hopefully, you're doing backups not just once; you're doing it regularly. And only the deltas that have changed since the last backup uh, are being stored in the TarSnap ser- uh, servers or in the TarSnap cloud, which sits on Amazon AWS. And so it's very cheap to use and easy because. You, as a Unix user, probably know everything that you need to know because it's based on tar and the tar command line. They just added their own little extra bits to make the backup service working. And it's very, very straightforward to use. You just put it in your cron tab, And it's working there nice and shiny. I just uh, do it on a separate uh, console here myself. And it's nicely chugging away uh, my data. And one day... If my next computer dies or if I need to transfer my files over there, I just pull it down from the uh, Tarsnap cloud. And there they are, the backups. Uh, You put in like $10, uh, depending on, of course, the amount of data you're backing up. Uh, But for me, it's $10 at the beginning of the year. And next year, I still have credit because it's very, very cheap. And um, for the people who are more GUI-centered, there are clients available from third parties who wrote like, you know, desktop clients for it to make it approachable for the desktop folks. But TarSnap is generally available on the BSDs, the Linuxes, Mac OS, Sikwin, Windows. And so no excuse anymore for not making a backup using TarSnap. There's comprehensive documentation uh, and the technical details. And it's all open source. You can really look behind the scenes and look at the source code if there's anything fishy there. But you definitely won't find anything there. Okay, this is now the feedback and questions section that a lot of people are looking forward to every week, including us. (laughs) And um, last time we got a feedback. Hey, Benedict's always whining about not getting enough feedback. Uh, But it's true, but it shouldn't sound like whining every day. So we would encourage you to send us feedback. Anything about uh, the show, comments, questions, anything you always wanted to know without paying too much in consulting fees. Well, we're not doing consulting here, but at least get some starting points and a little bit of help from our own experience. (laughs) So hopefully that was more uh, like a plea and not like a whining.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um. first first up, we have uh, Adam. Uh, Adam says, hi, guys. I'm a longtime listener and fan of the show. My question is about the state of a FreeBSD system during the upgrade process. As I understand it, the steps for a major version upgrade to FreeBSD are as follows run FreeBSD update-r version upgrade. Uh, Two, run FreeBSD update install. Three, reboot. Four, run FreeBSD update install again. Five, reinstall all packages. Six, run FreeBSD update install a final time. Can you describe the state of the system between each of these steps? What should I expect to be working or not working after each step?
0: Yeah, so that's important. Um, So you can definitely try this out. in a boot environment or in a you know virtual machine to see what the different states look like after each step and what works and what doesn't. Um, so what the system needs to do between those uh, steps is first it needs to exchange the kernel and the user land. And they both have to fit together. Otherwise, some kernel APIs don't know, hey, why is this API now different? Why is there a different parameter now? And so that's why uh, you need to have always the the kernel in sync with the user land or the world as a whole, and so that's why these steps are necessary. So uh, the first the first step when you do the FreeBSD update-r, it will, you know, check what you have on your local machine and what's the latest version you're upgrading to because you can also upgrade from like uh, FreeBSD 11 to 13. That's a bit of more involved upgrade, but it's possible, and so it needs to download and compare um the current system with the system based on the release of that freebsd version um what's next uh so it definitely needs to get the new kernel installed first and the user land because next time you update a newer kernel will be i'm not sure if i'm not, not if i'm making sense here um
1: <laughs> so first you install kernel. the kernel and then yeah. you reboot because exactly. the ABI for the kernel to user space should be stable. So Mm -hmm. the newer kernel can boot with the old user space, but a newer user space might might not boot on an old kernel. And so you reboot with the new kernel. And then you update user space.
0: Yep. And once you have that, then you have a a kernel that's synced with user land, but still your ports uh, don't work. So there could be. ports linking to um, a shared library that's now in a different or a higher version. And so it doesn't know about you know new symbols in there. And so that's why you need to do um, the reinstall of the packages because newer ABIs and it will tell you, hey, the ABI has changed from like previously 12 to 13. And once you've done that, which could take a while, depending on what kind of packages you have, and um, Once that is done, you need to do another FreeBSD update install. What's that doing?
1: That's doing the make-delete-old and make-delete-old steps, isn't it? So it's getting rid of the old libraries that um, third-party software might have linked against. So it's tidying up everything. And then you have an up-to-date system.
0: Yeah, exactly. So before we had FreeBSD update, we had to do it all manually. This is, oh, old guy speaking from the ages before the modern software came along. No, this is really what we did for a long time in FreeBSD. We did the whole build world, build kernel, install kernel, dance, and uh, then did in uh, single user mode all these steps to make uh, sure the system was uh, prepared for the next step and then installed it in single user mode. And FreeBSD update did a lot of work to did away with at least a single uh, user mode there unless you screwed something up. Uh, then it will drop you into single user mode, hopefully. Um, but this is what we did um, for a long time. And FreeBSD Update streamlines this a little bit to make it easier. It's not perfect. But at, at least for me, I've dropped this manual process in favor of FreeBSD Update when a new version comes out. And I'm using this only now.
1: Yeah, so the problem is when you're running current is you still have to do the manual updates and of doing the kernel, and then the world, and then tidying up. Yeah. Um, so in the first FreeBSD up- install, if you and it are correct, Um, you've only pulled the new kernel onto the system. Uh, And if that kernel will not run because maybe the device driver is broken that you need to keep going, uh, Mm -hmm. you can roll back here just to the previous kernel and it should be there as kernel.old and you recover the system and nothing's changed. Um, I don't know what happens if the install world uh, sort of (laughs) phase fails. I'm not sure what you do. Uh, Go to a backup maybe. Uh, Revert your boot environment. Try again later.
0: Yeah, um, that's why you install it in a boot environment or in a separate uh,
1: jail environment,
0: so you can always have your main system available. And then you can make um, the update and see what the state of the system is after each of those steps. Or if you want to really see what FreeBSD update is doing, then look into the script. It's a shell script. Yeah. It's in the source tree. You,
1: you could look at a shell script. You could also use uh, ZFS snapshots between each one and just look at the diff. The diff. Yep. See the change files. So you can do
0: ZFS diff... It tells you what kind of files it has changed. Um, that's a good way. So really, that's, that's how you see how a system, how an operating system works, how it interacts with kernel end user land and what kind of things you uh, can do to fix things if things go wrong or if you do a reboot too early or any other kind of mistakes that can happen. And so that really teaches you, you know, how the system works and uh, how the components interact with each other. Cool. Definitely a nice question and uh, hopefully you have a better understanding now. Unless uh, you miss something, then we encourage you to look at the source. There's definitely, the, or the man page for FreeBSD Update also has information. Okay, um, what? who's next? Ah, Paul with a BSD grep question. So uh, Paul writes here, hey, Alan, Benedict, NJT, and TJ, of course. <laughs> uh, happy FreeBSD 13 release. Oh, thank you. Um, I didn't do it. I read in the mm-hmm. release notes that several GNU components have been removed. Yes, they were. One that surprised me was that GNU grep had been previously used by default and I wasn't able to find much detail on this. I remember previously seeing people complain that macOS uses BSD grep instead of GNU Um, uh, Does this mean macOS beat free BSD at implementing BSD grep? Are there any big differences other than licensing and minor syntax in these two tools? So, um, there a while ago a couple of releases actually we had done a uh, google summer of codes for replacing bsd grab and implementing some uh, of the algorithms in there to make them a bit more efficient and that was a success and we had a switch in the system where people could choose to use this newer bsd grab or the traditional gnu grab and that kind of went on for a while without much progress and then finally Because there were some edge cases where the BSD grab was still slower than GNU grab, especially when you're doing a lot of uh, grabs over big files, I think. And so now, finally, those bugs were fixed. And we're now confident enough that the BSD grab is, at least speed-wise, or all the crazy grab um, parameters that you can provide are also implemented now in the BSD grab tool. And so we thought, why not make this the BSD default, the BSD grab now? But still, the GNU grep is, I think, a compile time option that you can put in to get it back. And there's also the port, of course, and user ports that you can use. Yeah. Uh, so that's, I think, how it went.
1: And so if you, if you do grep capital V um, on a, a 12 system, it says grep GNU grep 2.5.1 hyphen FreeBSD. And if you look at, at grep tactical V on macOS, it is grep. BSD grep 2.5.1 free BSD. Ah. So there's something. I don't know what that means.
0: Yeah, I think Apple put their own uh, special sauce in there. I'm fairly sure. Um, But this is definitely uh, a re-implementation, a clean room re-implementation of grep. Like I've never seen BSD grep before. It does this and it can do that. How would I implement this today if I had to do it? And so that's what they did. And some of the algorithms of searching and finding the patterns uh, that grep can get you are, are done with modern algorithms. I think there are a couple of papers about these. And so uh, it's a modern grep now. And I'm fairly sure that it's now the same as in, in, in terms of functionality and speed
1: as the GNU grep. Our final question this week comes from Sub. Uh, and they write... Would you be able to offer some ideas, guidance on multi-booting BSDs, free, open, net? I currently use BSD on nearly all my servers. However, I still use Linux on my PC and laptop, Pop! OS. I also use Raspbian on my Pis, but FreeBSD 13 is about to change that. Successful testing. Although there are several apps that I need for work and play that aren't as well supported on BSD, I would like to run the OS natively rather than running desktop VMs on top. I have an uh, Intel i5 eighth generation PC at NUC uh, and a ThinkPad T four nine five Ryzen laptop. Any thoughts would be well received and thanks for the show. It's perfect listening when walking the dog. <laughs>
0: um yeah, it depends uh on what kind of so um GNU Grub has been used a lot. Because it the, the bootloader needs to be able to boot all the other operating systems. And that could be a challenge. Um, so if you really want all the other or all the BSDs in on one system, then you need one overall bootloader that starts and where you can select which one to uh, to start.
1: Yeah. And I think the main option that for that is probably Grub. The option that will have the most support is Grub. And I think it yeah, supports booting FreeBSD on ZFS, which is probably the important part to have.
0: Yeah, I think that could be an issue. I'm not sure how, what the status there is. But since the, the Linuxes also have uh, ZFS now, uh, more or less on on, on booting even, um, that could be a thing that they can also now do. Because of the, the, the Linux in the mix, so it's not just the BSDs, but also the Linuxes that you want to start, you probably... Do, get further with um, GNU or with the, with the grub loader. Uh, isn't there also UEFI issues that you have to consider?
1: I, I don't multi-boot any of my FreeBSD systems, so I can't say.
0: Nah. But you have the Intel NUC, right? Yeah, you I, I, have say. A, I
1: have a 10th gen NUC. And it's, uh, mm. Apart from Wi-Fi, everything works really well.
0: <laughs> That's your issue, yeah. yeah. But you're also running a single operating system on that. Yeah,
1: but it works great for FreeBSD. Suspend hmm. even works. And Resume has worked.
0: Yeah. And so if you were putting Windows into the mix, that's a bit more involved because it's kind of uh, in the, at least last time I checked a couple of years ago, it's kind of like, I only accept my own operating system on this computer. I don't know about any other operating systems that are out there. I'm the only one controlling the bootloader.
1: Yeah, you might have trouble with secure boot in Windows as well
0: yeah that true you have to, Windows 10 to do it. the
1: install without secure boot so it's hard to multi-boot an existing install um maybe the best place to ask would be in an interactive medium like with discord or, or in the forum where you're more likely to find people that uh through other stuff on their computers
0: yeah it's probably the, the most difficult thing when you're in the installer which option to choose like Don't do any uh, bootloader of your own. Just use the one that's already there. And the new and the already existing bootloader needs to know about the new entry that it now needs to uh, boot.
1: Yeah, and of course, we're both talking from a FreeBSD perspective, but I don't think any of this is different for OpenBSD or NetBSD or any of the other BSDs. I think you still end up having to have a... a, You need a bootloader that can boot everything, and then it can pick other stuff. And I know we've covered uh, articles where people have installed... OpenBSD, NetBSD, FreeBSD, Linux, and Windows on one machine because they're sadists.
0: <laughs> well,
1: or trying out things
0: before they choose the one they want to yeah. run okay. in the future. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'm
1: unfair. Yeah, they're really, really <laughs> into booting operating systems.
0: Yeah, the big collection they have. And cert- certainly for a while, uh, or migrating between them is, is kind of nice. Um, but yeah, so far I don't have much experiences of my own. I, I picked my operating systems years ago. So yeah, if anyone else has maybe an answer, they can definitely let us know and we will connect uh, to this question here. So I think that's it for this episode. Uh, Thank you for listening as always. And we'll be back with another one next week as always.